how do how does a hibernating animal maintain its microbiome? If you're a bear or even a squirrel. I I don't think I've ever thought about that question. That's you don't really spend time worrying about this? <laughs> no, I don't. It's like, come on, man, what happens? So <laughs> I stopped hibernating a long time ago. <laughs> I like to hibernate. <laughs> but if you're a bear, bears don't lose their microbiomes. They wake up in the spring and they have a microbiome. Why do they have a microbiome? How does the microbiome survive without food? Well, your intestines feed the microbiome, and they feed it with essentially mucus. So mucus is a carbohydrate, and there's little mi microbes that, that graze on your mucus. Wow. And so I look at this as being an example of a beneficial resource sharing. It's, it's good for us to maintain certain populations of beneficial microbes, and we do this by directly feeding them. And we feed them with certain sugars called mu mucins okay. in our guts. Hmm. Other people have looked at this as being maybe a bad thing, that when you have excessive grazing by microbes on your, on your mucus, that can actually be bad. That's also probably true. Yeah, I could see that being true. And they say that happens if you don't have enough fiber in your diet. So in other words, mm. hey, microbes just got to eat. If you're not going to give it the fiber in the diet, right. it's going to chew on your own fiber, which is your mucus, and they're going to get a little bit too close to your, to your little enterocytes, and it's going to cause inflammation and make you sick and unhealthy. So there's some evidence for that too. But I think in general, in the healthy state, this feeding of microbes with mucus is actually a good thing. That's what I think. Cool. All right. Um, Silence from the chat. Vitamins. All right, so there's. We have. Certain... I have too much mucus. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I do too. That's kind of how I feel most most days these right now. So <laughs> I have very negative thoughts about mucus right. at the moment. <laughs> it's not all bad. All right, so that's an example of cooperation. We've talked about three different ways you can feed your microbes. There are things that we fight over. So this is getting back to the hyena example. Sorry. Oh uh, yes. We fight. We seem to fight with microbes over iron. And this guy, Matthew Barber, mm. did a paper, it's old now, four years old, in, in science. science. It's a good paper. So he really showed that we've been locked into this arms race with certain kinds of microbes, really bad ones, over iron. That we try to keep the iron away from the microbes. The microbes try to steal the iron. This is a real thing. It's called iron piracy. And they have little molecules that take iron away from our, our proteins and steal it. So that's what this picture shows. And both these things have been under very, very wow. strong natural selection. You can see evidence of selection for the genes that control these things. The protein that helps you hold on to iron, which is mostly called transferrin. And then um, there's a, a similar protein that bacteria make, which steal the iron away uh, from us. So that's, what, that's what's being shown there. So where is the iron in this? I think iron is that tiny little It's these little dot. dots? Yeah, it's okay. a little dot. I'm amazed at, at how this is showing the, the two... Actual structure. Yeah, the structure, yeah. That it, and it's fitting together It's kind of so like neatly. a lock and key. Yeah, yeah. All right, that didn't happen by accident. This happened by evolution. No, absolutely. I mean, that's this is why... Mm -hmm. This is the thing about allergies that has always interested me, because hmm. the reason why you can have allergies to various things that are sort of related to each other is because you have an antibody that essentially yeah. locks in to the shape of a particular antigen, and if they're related and they have similarly shaped antigens in your bloodstream, it's going to lock onto it. Right. So it, if you have a slightly different key, it might still get into that lock. And, and it's thought problems. that we've evolved some of these little receptors for these antigens to recognize parasites. Right. Like worms. Yes. yes. Or helmets. Right. And what's crazy is in some places, I think birch pollen 
looks like schistosomiasis. Right. You know? So that's what's interesting too, because it's there are. Um, it's the same key for the yeah, same lock. Like environmental allergies or yeah. food allergies, theoretically, there is a difference in allergenicity of right. each thing, and some so something is more or less likely to cause allergies, and that could be because of how they are related to some of these worms or other parasites that we have evolved to try and lock onto. So I, I remember crazy. reading that paper that birch pollen looked a lot like a little protein so made by crazy. a worm. That's so crazy. That's so It makes cool. you wonder, well, what happened first? Yeah, Did right. the worm evolve like a coating that looked like birch pollen so that it could escape the immune system? Anyway, these, yeah, are, these yeah. are the things that I think about. That's I'm, really interesting. You know, That's very cool. Sorry, not sorry. I'm going to hold on to that one for, <laughs> for Science Happy Hour on Friday. It's a good one. Yeah. I like that. Anyway. Yes. Pretty good example, an evolutionary story of fighting over micronutrients. Yes. So should we eat iron-fortified foods? What do you think? Um, well, I'm a, I am a woman. I don't know if you guys noticed. Um, and women typically need more iron than men do. This is what, what it's thought to be. Uh, because of, I, I think the, the, the thinking around it is, is because of menstruation. Um, well, haven't women also evolved to menstruate? Yeah, right? So why would women have to take a supplement for something which is natural? So, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the assumption there is that maybe in your diet currently, even though we're evolved to menstruate, maybe we mm -hmm. are not currently eating the correct diet that gives us enough iron to, to facilitate that. I thought you were going to say that women in evolutionary past didn't menstruate as much as what they do now. Oh, I would say the opposite. Think we menstruate less? Yes. Fascinating. Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think some women menstruate mm -hmm. a lot less just because of birth control. Um, but I oh, can okay. see the argument that um, if you're having more babies, right. then you're, you're having fewer menstruation But there's also cycles. the bleeding which yeah. is associated with uh, childbirth. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, women lose iron we in lose blood, a lot of iron, yes, either right. by menstruation or by childbirth. Yep. And so perhaps women have a higher need for iron than men. I think it's a big maybe. Okay. Right? But if the story which I just told you, which is that iron feeds pathogens, is true, then supplementing right, it's not we'll exactly. say children that aren't menstruating yeah, right, <laughs> with iron okay. is going to be bad. And I think that's sure. what's on the next slide. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that like I don't, I don't take iron supplements. Um, I know that there are birth control pills that already have an iron supplement in them um, for that very purpose. But I mean, if you're if you're prone to anemia, mm -hmm. then you probably should. Um, so this study was a very well-meaning study. They tried to give children in the Ivory Coast bread that either had or did not have iron supplementation, and what they showed was that the kids who got the iron actually had more stomach complaints and didn't seem to do any better mm. than the kids who didn't get the iron. Yeah, doesn't iron actually cause stomach upset? Well, it does, and it causes constipation. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. And we in have this a... study... Hello. Oh, sorry, guys. It's okay. <laughs> Greetings. In this study, they showed that the iron really messed up these kids' microbiomes. Wow. It caused an overgrowth of some really pathogenic species. Exactly what you predicted in the previous slide. Yep. That if, the, feeding, if, the, if we're fighting over iron with certain kinds of bad microbes, 
then if you give them excess, you might get excessive bad microbes. So this is, seems to be true in places where children are malnourished and where there's lots of infectious disease. Okay. It's possible that people here in the United States can get away with taking iron supplements because we don't have so much, so many mm. pathogens in our guts. Again, that's okay. a big maybe. Yeah, that makes sense, maybe. But the lesson I think to learn here is that we should be cautious. We shouldn't sure. just think, oh, your iron is low, I'm gonna give you iron. And then that's gonna make you better. Because we've ignored this, again, the elephant in the room, which is the microbiome. If they're busy fighting with you for iron, that's an interesting story. Hmm. What about in cases of, of, of true anemia? Well, these are, these, I think these children were anemic. Oh, okay. Or they were like so borderline probably, anemic. Right. So yeah, then, I just so wonder if it's, um, it's probably some sort of interaction effect where yeah. giving the iron when needed, mm -hmm. but in a particular environment where you are either more or less prone to having adverse reactions, maybe. Maybe so that's pathogens, maybe that's problems with the diet. I don't know. So Tom McDade mm -hmm. of Northwestern yes. University, he's an anthropologist. He wrote a nice article arguing, in effect, that iron deficiency anemia might be adaptive. And it might be adaptive because it protects you mm. from certain kinds of infections that have iron as part of their strategy for making you sick. All right? So if that's the case, then we shouldn't, again, even people that appear to be deficient, we shouldn't just be out there trying to give everybody iron. And we see, we see people kind of react badly to iron. Uh, we sometimes give people an iron infusion in the in their veins, and it's not uncommon that people will have a, a like a inflammatory reaction. Yeah, to that iron. sounds weird. Yeah. So as a general rule, your body has this way of coping with sickness, and that's either infection or could be cancer by making you anemic, and maybe that anemia is in fact adaptive in certain mm. some some cases. Mm. If it's adaptive, an evolved trait that helps keep iron away from micro-predators in your weakened state, right. then, then maybe we should be, be trying to give everybody iron. Mm. I think that's true. So I, that's my, my belief <laughs> is that we over-prescribe iron, that we over-diagnose anemia. We never think about the possibility that anemia might be a good thing. Interesting. All right. I there's, have not heard anything about this with anemia. a crazy counterpoint to this. Okay. So I went to this conference in Canada, and I heard a talk by a woman by the name of Janelle Ayers, and she's awesome. And I've invited her to my Evolutionary oh, yes. Medicine Conference yes, this yes, summer, yes, yes. and I'm looking forward to hearing her talk. She has a very different take on iron. Okay. If the science paper by um, Matthew Barber is kind of the traditional way that evolution, evolutionary-minded people think about iron, she kind of has the opposite. So she thinks that under certain circumstances, giving iron can actually prevent microbes from killing you. <laughs> she's shown this in mice not in people. Sure. It's really trippy and really cool. It just shows you that, like I said, you have to pay attention to the microbiome. Some cases, iron might kill you. In some cases, iron might protect you. But you, you have to look at it in terms of this crazy, possibly three-way interaction that happens. There's wow. never a simple answer to this question. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, this goes to Paranor's point about personalized healthcare being yep. the way to go. This, this would totally feed into that Great for point. sure. Yeah. But in general, I am anti-vitamin. I think you should get your micronutrients from food. And most people that study nutritional epidemiology, I think, would agree with me. And actually, the story behind like Wonder Bread, mm -hmm. I don't even know if you can buy Wonder Bread anymore. 
I think it's still yeah. out there. So white bread, it says fortified with nine essential nutrients and minerals. Yep. They basically, the food industry with this hugely processed food, took all the fiber and essentially everything good out of bread. Yep. And they sold you a bill of goods by saying, hey, we're giving you the good stuff back in, in, the, in the nutrients. It didn't work for Wonder Bread. It didn't work in, for this Ivory Coast example. And in general, it doesn't work for you. You probably shouldn't be taking vitamins as a way of making you healthy. All it does is make you poorer because vitamins are expensive. And there's some instances like with selenium and vitamin E, and I believe vitamin A, so antioxidant vitamins taken to prevent heart disease and cancer had this paradoxical effect shown in a large, enormous randomized controlled trial of actually increasing the risk of cancer. Oh, wow. So there's good evidence for a lot of vitamins that taking them is bad for you. So I think that you need to get your vitamins from food. That's the bottom line. That's the safe thing to do, very straightforward. Um, there may be a few exceptions, the jury, I think, is out on prenatal vitamins, mm. but an over-reliance on iron and antioxidant supplements in general is probably a bad thing. Um, what do you think about uh, how people don't take into account bioavailability? Um, so someone brought up yeah. counting macros, and they're not necessarily taking into account that all of that not all of some protein or whatever is being actually taken up. Mm -hmm. um, in the body? I think that there's something that? to that argument. I think that people have, the bioavailability argument is something that people have used to explain why it is that supplements don't seem to work. Yeah, yeah. And I think that right. if we just kind of fall back on the other take home point, that mm -hmm. if you eat nutritious foods that tend to have some of these things embedded in them, that our body has evolved to deal with that. And our body has not evolved to deal with a massive overdose of a vitamin and a pill. So it's not just the bioavailability. It's not just what does your body need. Right. It is how does the thing, the nutrient, affect cooperation and conflict in your microbiome. Iron can promote conflict. We've seen that. And in fact, iron causes constipation, probably because of its effects on the microbiota. And this happens in elderly people. So my wife's grandmother, who recently passed away, um, she was noted to have anemia. Okay. Her doctor put her on iron. She got very constipated. She was straining on the toilet. She had a lower GI bleed. She oh, wow. passed out, had a syncopal episode, ultimately broke her hip, and then sometime later um, died from this. So, <laughs> cautionary tale. Right? Oh my gosh. It just We don't think of like hey, the constipation of iron as being a bad thing, but it really can be. It can be, that, it can, I mean, it can be lethal. You could directly <laughs> trace that to the iron. Yeah. Or really to the anemia. Well, no, to the iron. Yeah, to the iron. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's brutal. So, And she actually complained about it. I was like, yeah, they, they really shouldn't have given you that iron. Yeah, that's awful. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, yeah. it's a bit of a downer. Yeah. Well, I mean, she was She tale, was beloved. Yeah. She uh, lived to 97. Oh, man. She had a great life. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a bummer, man. But 97. 97. That's, that's solid. Can't get too much better than that. Yeah, seriously. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's, shall we continue? Mm -hmm. Ooh. Well, we talked about how we tolerate charts. tons of microbes in the colon. That's where the pH tends to be lower. I'm mm. oh, sorry. <laughs> pH tends to be actually a little bit higher or neutral oh, yeah. in the colon. Where the pH is lowest is in your stomach and your small intestine. Mm. It's like, again, this is, the story is a bit complicated. 
but we use acid and pH to control bacterial populations. Where we don't want them, we make a ton of acid. So we make that in your, in your stomach. And that does two things. It prevents potentially bad pathogens in food yep. from making their way into your microbiome and then making you sick. That's good. And it also allows you to kind of control the numbers of microbes in your proximal gut. If you're killing everything, then you, you have control over it. So this proves the point to me that you know, the microbes are not just going to do right for you. <laughs> you have to have these inputs, and acid is one of them. So the story here is that we tolerate these huge numbers of fermenting microbes in the colon, so that's this mutualistic or beneficial relationship, but we don't tolerate the same number in your stomach or small intestine. So then you have to think about well, what happens if you take acid. All right, acid-reducing medicines. Oh, like a, right. Like oh. Protonics. Yep. Um, some of these medicines. Prilosec. The Prilosec. Yep. They're over the counter. Yep. So they're over the counter because we think the acid is useless and all it does is cause right. us harm. But in fact, the acid is critical to controlling your microbiome. Mm. So if you just Google uh, proton pump inhibitor and side effect, they have all kinds of crazy side effects. I have heard <laughs> that being on something like Prilosec or whatever yeah. for long periods of time can cause leaky gut. Well, it certainly causes leaky gut. It also causes increased fractures. It causes increased all-cause mortality. You're more likely to die. Oh. Um, there's some evidence that may actually increase your risk of a heart attack. Crazy. Might increase your risk of dementia. So these are bad drugs. And do you think so? When I when I see people in the ER and they're on these medicines, I say it's fine to take them short term. Yeah. These are not meant to be taken long term. Right. Right. Do you think that the reason why there are all of these crazy side effects is because of its effect on the microbiome? Yes, ma'am. I suspect it <laughs> as much. I think so. I'm not the only crazy person that thinks yeah. this, but I do think that's true. That one of the reasons for why taking proton pump inhibitors is bad mm -hmm. for us is because it has these negative impacts. And if we think about medicine as being kind of like food, that it can mm. modulate conflict and cooperation in the microbiome, then an acid reducer really is a conflict medicine. It causes right. conflict in your microbiome. Sure. And so, maybe sometimes on the short term that might be helpful to you, but you still have to be cognizant of the fact that that's yeah. what, what it's doing. Um, would drinking something like soda that does have an acidic mm. effect to it have any bearing on this? Do we well, that's know a good this? question. I mean, it's also full of sugar, so yeah. I imagine that that's... Um, yeah, so my wife likes to I use uh, Diet Coke or, or Dr. Pepper to descale things and to you know, as a cleaner yeah, yeah. to get rid of like hard water deposits. Oh. <laughs> and she, she pours the stuff out. She's that like, how can anybody drink good. this stuff? Oh, God. Right? right? Um, so yeah, so there are certain soft drinks that actually have a fairly, fairly low pH. It's not as low as what's in your stomach. So I think the short answer to your question is that eating acidic foods might be good, um, but probably isn't good when it comes to sugary soft drinks because of the high, high amount of sugar. Mm. Uh, so apparently there's been a recent study in The Lancet um, showing that lead poisoning may be a lot more common than we have expected. Have you heard anything about this? No. We've got the paper, Lead and the Heart, an Ancient Metals Contribution to Modern Disease. Interesting. Lead is bad. Lead is bad, for sure. I mean, so I think we're lucky. Most places in Albuquerque here have relatively low amounts of yeah. lead in the water. Thank goodness. Yep. Unlike, say, Flint, Michigan. 
cause of hypertension, risk factor for heart disease, stroke, chronic kidney disease. Yeah, I'm gonna have to take a look at this. I don't. So I'll say, I haven't yeah, heard I don't about know this about yet. this either. It's very interesting. I mean, lead is heavy metals are are poisons. Yeah, yeah. And they impact your whole body's functioning, including your brain. Oh, so yeah. This is a fascinating. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Lead makes the mind give way, quoted yeah. in the first sentence. Ooh, wow. Yep. From Greek physician Discorides. Discorides. Yep. Huh. Nice. I wasn't aware of Discorides cool. until now. Yeah. So that was that I was like that, that was helpful in a lot of ways. Yeah. Hey, Maven. Yes, this this is a University of New Mexico hoodie or yeah anti hoodie. Less there is no hoodie, but yes, yeah. jacket of some kind. <laughs> Close. But yes. Um, uh, yeah, that's really cool. So it makes a compelling case that lead poisoning is the biggest contributor to heart disease. Well, that's mm. fascinating. I'm going to have to read the article. In the absence of other things? Like, like smoking? separate or diet or lack of ex exercise? How about this? It's a previously under-recognized cause of heart disease. Yes, I would right. say that. I would agree with that. <laughs> but biggest contributor? I'd have a hard time putting my stamp on that one, but maybe, yeah. but maybe, maybe. Who knows? we'll have to read the paper. Um, let's see. Cool. Oh, wow. It's been in the documentary too. Huh? Wow. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> when I say that everything has to do with the microbiome, I mean, clearly things like lead or tobacco yeah. smoke right. prove the point that not everything is about the microbiome. It's true. It's very true. Sometimes we just do bad shit yeah. to our bodies. <laughs> Like this. Look at that segue. Right. I didn't even know that was there. That was perfect. So, chat. How many of you guys have been to New Mexico? This is a oh, Blake's Lotta Burger. Lotta Burger. This is a. I think it's a purely New Mexican thing. It is. Although I read recently, the company is from Texas. Originally. They're from Texas, but I think yeah. it's just in New Mexico. Yeah, it is. And they're trying to branch out to some other places. Oh, okay. So this is our local kind of burger joint. Yep. It is amazingly good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Probably amazingly bad for you. Oh yeah, they're terrible. I mean, honestly, I would rather eat this than like drink a gallon of soda. So it is making me hungry. This is a double meat, double cheese with green chili. Yep. Blake's a lot of burger. I can't do awesome. doubles, man. I'm just not. Yeah. Not capable. All right, I haven't done this in a long time because I, I actually have a little bit of willpower. Yeah. <laughs> I also go no cheese too. So. Right. So my burgers are typically. At least a little bit healthier. Mm, green chili. <laughs> it does look delicious. With green chili, yeah, for sure. So let's, let's break down this green hamburger. Green chili, also antimicrobial. That's true. So if you eat enough green chili, you can actually counteract some of the bad impacts of, yeah. of a bad diet. Right. This is really, really true. Yes. And something that we should think about. So we haven't really got into that, but you can actually counteract some bad features of food if you add yeah. something like uh, spices or Spicy. capsaicin. It's really just capsaicin, right? Yeah, so, but they've, there's a paper that shows that if you eat a junk food diet, and they did this in rats, that they have this spike in sugar, and they also have a spike in, they start to gain weight. But if you give them green chili at the same time, it blocks it. Pretty amazing. So maybe this is the, uh, the rationale wow. that you add green chili to everything. I think that's exactly what right. it's saying. Green chili, good. Yes. You can get it right here in New Mexico. But other parts, the white bread, we'll start with the bun. Yep. That is going to be broken down to simple carbohydrate. Yep. And that's going to tend to feed and uh, promote conflict. So anytime that this is, so think about that wildebeest and the hyenas example. 
Anytime there's a package of energy which is easily accessible to both parties, it's going to cause some degree of conflict. So this is why eating simple sugar is bad for you. It's why eating fiber that actually preferentially feeds only a certain kind of microbe and ones that our bodies carefully cultivate tends to be better for us. All right. I'm getting really hungry. I don't know oh, about no. you. I'm getting there too. <laughs> Processed cheese. This is not just regular old cheddar. So this is this is cheese in which they've added emulsifiers. So emulsifiers tend to break down the, the uh, mucus barrier mm -hmm. and actually cause and cause um, microbes to one get too close to you. Okay. You want to you know don't stand too close to me. You want a little bit of space between you and your microbes. We this accomplish is that leaky gut, with, right? Yeah, we accomplish that with mucus. So the little and also, there, there can be beneficial microbes that can provide a bit, a bit of a barrier uh, effect or promote barrier function in your gut. So if you eliminate those microbes and you get rid of the, the mucus barrier, and we do this with emulsifiers that are in lots and lots of processed foods, mm -hmm. including some of that cheese, that's going to actually cause a breakdown of your gut barrier oh, wow. and, and cause problems. Yeah. Is this from yeah. that same paper? Yeah. Yeah, I could tell. The, the graphics the are graphics. the same. Yeah, they're nice. It's kind of fun little pictures. Yeah, yeah. It's not perfect. You know, one thing that's, that's cool about this, you see that little tail? We show little, little harmful microbes with tails. Mm -hmm. They have flagella. Yep. All right? So this is something, this is kind of getting into the upper level stuff. But if you have microbes in your gut, you kind of want them just to stay put. You want them to, and also when it comes time for you to want to get rid of them, like with a good bowel movement, you don't want them to fight, fight back. Right, okay? right. For sure. So you want a relatively immobile microbe yep. that's going to do what you want and stay where you want it. You don't want microbes that can, you know, have their driver's license and can drive <laughs> around wherever they want. So microbes that have flagella, actually it's a virulence factor. And so a lot of bad E. coli that can cause disease, they, mm. as part of their virulence program that causes illness, they grow a little flagella. So we could do a little sample on you, dear chat. Yes. And we could find out how many of your microbes have flagella or little tails. How mobile are they? So the more mobile they are, probably the worse off you are. This is not something I've actually seen that people offer as a test, but I think that's something that people should do. Yeah. If there was a way we could we could look for flagella expression. Wow. Just in, in a, a poop sample, and we'd have an idea about how healthy you are. That's interesting. Am I crazy? Yeah. I mean, or not so crazy, yeah. I suppose. Um, Wait, don't take oh. away my cheese. No, well, no. Just, just All right. the, I was talking just about the shitty cheese. processed cheese, like... American slices. Right. Pro tip number three yeah. or four. There you go. Buy real cheese. Yes. Buy the, buy the good cheese. stuff. Real cheese. Buy the aged cheese that's actually been fermented even longer. Oh tends yeah. Have, Extra sharp white cheddar. You're doing. Tends to have even better. Like a, a group of fatty acids has microbial metabolites in it. So your body kind of detects when food has been processed by beneficial bacteria. Yep. And fermented, because these are not pathogens by and large, and so that's why eating aged cheese is so good for you. So good. I love it. I wish I could. All right, eat we're all cheese. getting hungry now. This is bad. I know, dude. I'm like fiending. Okay, well, this is this is the last. As far as slides go, this is the last slide. Mm -hmm. All right, so my research collaborator Carlo Maley, who wrote a paper with me, he came up with this little this little picture. It basically says that when our interests are in alignment with microbes, when there is things like resource sharing, we're eating a high fiber diet, we're not taking um, acid reducing medications. We're, um, you know, being breastfed, for instance. Right. That that tends to promote cooperation in our guts, and when that happens, we end up being healthy. If we eat the wrong foods, and we eat things with emulsifiers and iron, 
excess simple sugars, lots of processed foods, we tend to cultivate conflict in our guts. And that tends to cause disease. So this is just a way, you know, this is a model. And I forget who said that all models are, are incorrect. It's just a matter of like, this is an oversimplification of a right. complex yeah, system. Right, yeah, of course. Right? But I think that this scheme actually allows you to kind of put everything in context when it comes to food. We want to promote cooperation. And we can do that with, with our dietary choices. We can't choose whether we were breastfed as infants. That's true. Unfortunately. I was yep. not. I was not. That's why I'm a bundle of allergies. Yep. But so this is, this is a, a, how I, the way I look at it. And it really takes into consideration the idea that microbes can be both good and bad for you. This, I mean, this puts it really into perspective that you've got a spectrum of where your microbiome right. is going to be in terms of the cooperation conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, but then generally, we are always going to be healthier if we're farther on the cooperation side. So one thing I didn't <laughs> put on the cooperation side is fermented foods. And oh, I really, okay. really should have done that. Yeah, yeah. So Just any, any probiotic yeah, probiotics. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to me, and I don't think it's gotten quite enough attention, why it is that probiotics oftentimes have these predictably good impacts mm -hmm. on our body. And I think it's because we've evolved with this complex kind of community, both yeah. the good and the bad. So when your body basically gets a big input of what is generally good, and we can talk about why they're good, then the, your body kind of relaxes. I mean, yeah. your immune system dials things back, your nervous system isn't quite on so much alert. <laughs> so we are, your nervous system pays attention to your, to your microbes as much as to everything else in your environment. And so that's why probiotics can impact things like anxiety and depression. Yeah. Truly crazy stuff, but amazingly true. <laughs> um, hang on one second. Yeah. Probiotics. Probiotics. Do we think, so yogurt has naturally occurring cultures in it. People say you could just eat yogurt to get some probiotic effect. Mm -hmm. Do we think that getting probiotic from our diet is enough? Or do you think that we need to be going towards the, the supplement route for, for probiotics? So I was invited to give a talk to the International Probiotics Association. And full disclosure, I still, kind of, I still serve as a scientific advisor it's an unpaid position for the for the IPA, the International Probiotics Association. You mean not India Pale Ale? Not India Pale Ale. <laughs> but so, like I said, they did they paid for me to go to a conference several years ago, but they haven't recently. Um, so full disclosure, and they asked me though, do you take probiotics? And I was like, no. And I really gave them the same line as I give on supplements: you shouldn't take these things in pills when you can get them from food. And I think that's basically true. This is what I do. So I drink kombucha. I, I eat yogurt, I get my probiotics that way. Mm -hmm. Having said that, there's good evidence that you can prevent things like diarrhea when you're traveling from taking probiotics, yeah. and it might just be inconvenient or impossible to get a hold of yogurt. So if you can get it in a pill, that might be an sure. example of where it may be beneficial. Right. But I do, I do want to kind of stick with the general principle of get your micronutrients, your beneficial microbes, and your prebiotics, the foods that feed good microbes, that's your fiber, yep. from food. So I think that's that's where kind of the money's on that. Yep. Yeah. Yes, that's a very well. So this is a good question. Drop Bear mm -hmm. just asked, "Do you need to eat a lot of yogurt to get a real measurable effect?" Well, I think that when you look at say the, it depends on the yogurt. 
because certain kinds, what they've shown is that for any kind of outcome that we care about, if it's say a decrease in um, you know pain in your gut or mm -hmm. whatever it is, that the strain matters. So you may have a yogurt that actually has a strain which isn't so good for you, but in general, most of the species that people kind of settled upon are good for you. If it says it contains a lot live cultures, it's probably good. Right. There are certain kinds of yogurts, so it will depend. I guess it depends on the on the yogurt for sure. Yeah, a lot of yogurts actually are hidden sugar factories as That's well. True. They have like an unbelievable amount of added sugar. Mm -hmm. So I I actually used to get dairy free yogurt that was right. you know in the the individual cups, and there's like 13 grams of sugar in each one of those or something. It's ridiculous. So I think this is one of these examples where the probiotics might actually counteract. It's possible, yeah, and there's some fiber in there too. Yeah, so um, you want to avoid the added sugar. Yeah, the added sugar. But right. milk has lactose in it. Right. It's yeah. Sugar. So it's it is added sugar, right? It's it's not. Or it's in it. Yeah. So like, and there's fruit probably in there, and that's fine. Uh, but I've switched to the the bigger like the unsweetened plain or vanilla, mm. and I just add fruit to it, and it's like maybe a gram of sugar, I think. And what I, so what I do is something gram, similar. So I've that. started to make my own yogurt, which you can do very cheaply. And it only takes a few hours to do it. It's pretty amazing. Or you, mm -hmm. you basically you take your milk, you heat it up, you cool it down, you put in your, your yogurt yeah. starter, you, you stir it up overnight, and then you wake up in the morning and you have yogurt. And that's a simple example of it. And then I, I, I don't add any extra sugar to it. Right. Um, I, I will put in fruit. And you, it's it's good. Yeah, it's delicious. It's I, I usually do a little granola too, and yeah. some protein. So I think this um, is solid dietary advice. Yeah, Again, I'm not trying to give medical advice. Right, to I know. Here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. what about kefir and kombucha and all that? I I'm a fan. I particularly so I like water kefir. I've never Obviously, I've never I had water the kefir. kefir. I've, um, I've had I make tea kombucha. Ooh, that oh you did say that last week, and yeah. I think I made the exact same reaction. Probably sounds <laughs> delicious. It is good. Um, yeah, so I think yeah, that that's it's all easier to understand why it is that yogurt is good for you. Because yogurt is basically, it's got those lactobacilli mostly. And lactobacilli are microbes that have, we have evolved along with breast milk. As mammals, mammalian organisms, mm -hmm. <laughs> women for, for humans yeah. or females for other, other, other species, they have lactobacilli associated with the breast milk. And this is, this is the organism which, which tends to promote the health. So it's right. been a nice example of co-evolution involving yeah. diet. Yeah, yeah. So we've harnessed that or hacked that in in traditional food production methods, and we've done this with yogurt and with a lot of fermented foods. So there's lactic acid, I think, in water kefir, and there's lactic acid bacteria in kombucha. Kombucha is a little weird though; it has some, has some other species in it. Yeah, and yeah. It's not 100% clear why it's there. good for you. I'm actually involved with Athena Actibus's lab at Arizona State. And we're studying the microbiome of kombucha and really trying to figure out what it is that's good about it. But it does seem to be this crazy mutualism between a yeast and a bacterium mm. that, as a useful byproduct for us, makes a very tasty tea. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, hmm. good stuff. I bet that is that still in progress? Research? The research? Yeah. We have a paper, a preprint that's available uh, that looks at. Again, cooperation and conflict in, in kombucha. There you go. And that how, sounds like a, a press release kind of paper. Yeah, that's kind of cool. people would love that shit. So I don't think I it's really actually do. been published in a peer-reviewed journal yet. Okay, so not so yet. So we'll, gotcha. we'll keep you posted. 
Very cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of our our lovely chat members, Uncle mm -hmm. Bill, has mentioned that one of many jobs in my history, septic work, Ooh. has given him the knowledge that families that love yogurt have healthier tanks. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so hilarious. I love that. That is so funny. Wow, I love oh, it. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, big old scoby, that's right. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. I'm not surprised, though. I'm not either. You know, microbes. Yeah. This is, this is this is powerful stuff. I am I'm like slightly interested, but also not really interested uh, in mm -hmm. knowing what it means to have a healthier tank. Maybe one that doesn't <laughs> kill you immediately. <laughs> uh, you're trying to clean it. Yeah, right. Hydrogen um, sulfide. Yeah, like all kinds of badness. I, I I could ask, but I'm not really sure right. I want to know to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, similar to sourdough. Yes, another wonderful fermented food mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I feel like we got to do fermented foods like soon. We do. We'll have to do a deep dive into we fermented should. foods. We absolutely it. should. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I could mm -hmm. use a, a bathroom break. Um, right. And we're just about, I, I think, think we're wrapping up. So. Yeah. Um, so there's lots to say about diet. I wouldn't yeah. mind at all revisiting this topic. Um, I have more ideas about, about diet that we haven't gotten into. Mm. Okay. So. Yeah, we have, we didn't talk about the ketogenic diet, so there's lots, oh, of, yes. lots of things that we can talk yeah, about. Yeah, mm -hmm. we talk about more about why spices are good for you. Yep, mm. we talked about that on our diet episode of Science Happy Hour. Right. Yep. Oh, cool. So, yeah, well, thank cool. you, Kate. For we'll we'll have another me for this discussion. Yes, of course. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you, chat members. Ah, a septic patient. tank lives on a biome, also. Ooh. That's very true. It Big has its own. Film. Yeah. Whoa. Um, sounds like a good prop for a future show. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, thank you guys so much for hanging out. Um, we will see you next Tuesday for our chat with an additional guest. And uh, I'll see you later on this week, maybe tomorrow morning or on Friday for some other streams. So, all right. All right. Over and out. See you guys. Bye-bye.